Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Reading comes from John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Here we have the arrest of Jesus. We know that Judas left the Last Supper, the upper room, to go and carry out his betrayal of Jesus. And Judas knew that Jesus met many times with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's in the Garden of Gethsemane that Judas brings the band of soldiers and also some of the leaders of the Jews to find Jesus so he may betray him. So we're going to turn to our reading at this time. This is John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This is to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now notice some interesting things here. Of course, Judas knew exactly where to go because this was a place that Jesus met with his disciples many times. But when they come, think of a group of hardened soldiers. These are tough guys. And Jesus asked the question to them. It's like he takes the initiative. He says, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says to them, I am he. And what's interesting when he says, I am he, the he is the pronoun pronoun is not there in the Greek. He just says, Ega ami. Now, Ega ami is an interesting phrase because when you go back and look at the Old Testament, Exodus chapter three, we know that around 200 years before Christ or 100 years before Christ, The Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was called the Septuagint. Think of the King James Bible and how pervasive that was in English-speaking culture. Well, the Septuagint was very pervasive in Greek-speaking culture. It was a very popular translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And when Exodus 3, when God reveals his name to Moses, you know, Moses asked God, well, if they ask who sent me, the Israelites, what do I tell him your name is? And God says, I am. And he uses the word in Greek, ega ami. Jesus utters this very same phrase. Jesus says, I am. Now notice the reaction to the soldiers. Verse six, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed that in this chapter, but these tough guys that come to arrest Jesus are on the ground quivering and their shoes. They are in the presence of something great, and they realize it. So in a sense, Jesus reveals his glory here. Just for a second, we get a glimpse of who he is. When he says, I am, there's something about 
when he says that, it, it terrifies these guys and they fall to the ground. They prostrate themselves before the living Lord, the guy that they're coming to arrest. I think of you know, being in the presence of greatness, how that makes you feel sometimes. I remember one time trying to walk across a river. We were canoeing and our canoe flipped over and we were trying to collect our items that had spilled out of the canoe. And we tried to walk across the, the very uh, strong currents of the water. And I got knocked off my feet pretty quick. And when you're in the presence of something powerful, it will knock you off your feet. And they know something is special about this guy. And I find it interesting that Jesus almost has to coerce them to arrest him. He has just encouraged them to arrest him. And it's interesting Simon Peter's reaction. You know, Simon Peter carrying a sword. Now, this is not strange for a person in that time to be carrying a defensive weapon like this. Uh, in the first century, you had a lot of bandits that would be on, on highways. We know from the story of the Good Samaritan. You had this fellow who was on the way to Jericho and had a band of robbers attack him and beat him severely. So you would carry defensive weapons in that time period. It's not unheard of for, for Peter to have a, a sword. And he knows how to use it. He pulls out the sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. Now, we know uh, that Jesus will will heal Malchus. But in verse 11, Jesus says something interesting to Peter that tells us something. He tells Peter to put the sword away. This is part of God's plan. He must drink the cup the Father has given him. Now, what is the cup? Throughout the Old Testament, there's this idea of the cup of God's wrath that stands against sin. You find it in Jeremiah 25, verses 15 through 16. Jeremiah the prophet says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So there's this sense of the wrath of God that's coming against sin. We find this in Jeremiah 25 and Isaiah 51. So I believe in some sense Jesus is going to take on the penalty for our sin. Now I know this idea of substitutionary atonement has fallen on hard times with some people. There are people that recoil at that and go, well, that's, that's, that's horrible. But in some sense, Jesus is taking on the wrath because of sin. I think that's a reminder that God is, when we think of God's wrath, we think, well, that sounds so um, silly that God would be angry about sin. And I tell people, well, consider this, you know, imagine your own children that you love very much being misled or misguided. Uh, let's say someone you trust comes in and leads your children the wrong way and and, and hurts them in some way. You as a, a human parent would be really upset about that. So imagine that on an infinite scale where God's good creation has been defaced by sin and he is passionate about his children. And so in this sense, Jesus is going to um, be the one that takes our place. And that is good news. There's also the cup of salvation in the Old Testament. In Psalm 116, 13, I will lift the cup of salvation and call the name of the Lord. So there's the cup of wrath. There's the cup of salvation. And Jesus does bring salvation by what he does on the cross. But we don't need to forget who Jesus is. In this passage, we get something revolutionary. We understand two things that, that we're learning in chapter 18. Jesus is God in flesh. He is the I am. He is choosing to go to the cross and die for our sins. So in some sense, Jesus 
is taking on the penalty for our sin. And Jesus is not some poor sap sucker. God just pulled out and said, let's take this perfectly innocent guy and just pour all this wrath on him. Jesus willingly, as God in flesh, goes to the cross to die for us. But also, in a sense, Jesus is victorious by going into death. He will destroy death by letting Satan, his minions, and all evil has to offer take its best shot at him. And then he stands strong through all of that. He defeats the power of sin and death. Jesus draws all the powers of forces of evil out into the open and makes a public spectacle of them when Satan thinks he wins by killing Christ, actually leads to his own demise by falling into the trap of God in some sense. So Jesus, being the great I am, will go and die for us. Now, that's something no human being would make up when you think of that. There's just no way a person would make up that kind of story. So today, encouragement for you. Jesus, the all-powerful one, even though he was humble and lowly and a servant, He was God among us. He was Emmanuel, and he drank the cup, the cup of our salvation, the cup of God's wrath against sin. He took our place, and for that I'm thankful. And if you're in him and you're covered in his blood, you receive the benefits of that sacrifice, sacrifice for our sins. Well, I hope this week, as we're thinking about the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, Uh, These podcasts and readings are helping you in your walk with Christ. And I just hope you have a, a wonderful day.